God. Take your Bibles tonight, and we'll turn this evening to the book of two portions of Scripture. One is Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, and then Exodus chapter 14 tonight. So if you'll take those two portions of Scripture, and we're going to look there this evening. Exodus chapter 14, beginning with verse number 1. Or excuse me, uh, Exodus chapter 14, we'll get there, and we'll read that first. Begin with verse 13, we're going to read through the end of the chapter. It says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen." And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came uh, between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them. But it gave light by night to these, so that one came not near the other all the, all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall un, unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud, and trembled uh, the host of the Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels, that they drave them heavily. So that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, and the waters, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh. And it came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the, the, the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that we have a God like you that can do the impossible. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity of being able to uh, open your precious book tonight and to learn about you. Father, I pray that you would help us and challenge us tonight to consider the great things that 
you can do in us and through us if we'll just submit to your power and your leading. Father, I thank you for this time this evening. Pray, God, you'd bless your word. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A Bible class teacher was <clears throat> had been teaching a series of lessons on God's power and trying to encourage the young people to realize how great God was and what great things God can do. She asked the question after the series of teaching on, the, on this uh, idea of God's power. She said, is there anything that God cannot do? All of a sudden, after a few moments, one little guy raised, her hand, uh, raised his hand, and she was kind of disappointed because he didn't get the point of the, the message. They've been talking all this time. Is there some things that God cannot do? And the little young man, uh, as she looked at him, she says, okay, what is it that God cannot do? And the little boy replied, he says, well, God can't please everybody. And that is true. God can't please everybody. He was, the Sunday school teacher was trying to get the young man to get a vision of what God could do in their life. You know, when we speak of having a vision, we're not talking about some weird thing. Uh, we're, we're talking about having a desire, a goal that we can imagine, something great that God can do in our hearts, and our lives, so forth. Uh, Ed, uh, for example, Edison, he had a vision, if you would, of the electric light. Now, uh, the electric light didn't come overnight. It came with a lot of testing. They say some 10,000 experiments were involved in getting the electric light to work. I think of, uh, I think of Alexander Graham Bell uh, had a vision of a, one day of phone where people would be able to talk uh, with regard to that. And so he worked and he worked and he labored toward that. You know, in the spiritual realm, it's important for Christians to have a vision in their life. And uh, we're, we're told to walk by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But someone has defined faith, I believe, in a, in a great way. It says, believing what God has said and then acting upon it. Believing what God has said and then acting upon it. Having a vision is a part of faith. Setting your mind's eye uh, on something great which only God can accomplish. We have in our, uh, in our mind a goal for which, uh, God, with God's help, a project or a plan or a desire can be fulfilled. Tonight we want to consider this eye, getting an uh, getting, uh, idea, cons uh, getting a vision of what God can do. You know, to get a picture of God doing something more than the status quo, more than what we could do by our own strength in our personal life, in our homes, and in our church. Jeremiah 33 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So tonight as we consider this, I want you to con consider, first of all, the necessity of having a vision. Why is it necessary that you and I, that we have a vision of God doing something? Well, first of all, without a vision in regards to God's word, people perish. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. This is that other portion of scripture that I was mentioning to you earlier. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 18. We find these words, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. 
But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The context of this portion of scripture is dealing with the word of God. When we're talking about uh, in verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, as you can see, the context is the word of God. When people don't have an understanding of the word of God, that they, they perish. Where there is no vision, uh, as, if you stop here and think about that, God revealed his truth, his word, through various ways. For example, he, re, he, recorded, or he revealed it uh, verbally. He revealed it verbally to Moses when he spoke to him on the Mount Sinai, gave him the Ten Commandments. He spoke through angels in, in Daniel chapter number 10 when, uh, when uh, we have the, the uh, prophet Daniel and he was asking God to reveal uh, this dream, what was, what was going to happen. He, God sent an angel to explain to him, give him the truth. Uh, he he uh, gave his word, explained his word through visions. In Isaiah chapter 6, as we saw in Isaiah, he saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. God on his throne. That was a vision. In 2 Peter 1.21, it says, For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We know that in Jesus' time, that Jesus came and spoke and revealed the truth to people. In 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. You say, well, what are you talking about, open vision? Well, the word of God had kind of been stayed for a while. God was, had not been revealing his truth to the people, and they hadn't heard the word of God. And so there was a period of time uh, that God had not spoken through angels, had not spoken through uh, verbally, had not spoken through visions, and God was silent. God didn't reveal anything new. And the Bible talks about the fact in that portion in 1 Samuel that the truth that they received was held in high regard. It was precious and sacred. When God spoke, people would listen. You know, there are other times when God didn't speak for a long time. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, some 400 silent, what they classify as silent years, God wasn't speaking. And then when God began to speak to Zacharias as he was in there in the temple, man, all of a sudden people were paying attention once again to what the word of God, was, what God was saying. You know, the uh, getting a vision of the word of God, the power of God's word. Adam Clark said about uh, getting a, having a vision in this portion that we see here. He said, where divine revelation and the faithful preaching of the sacred testimonies are neither reverenced nor attended, the ruin of that land is at no great distance. Let me read that once again. It's a great point. Where divine revelation and faithful preaching of the sacred testimonies are neither reverenced nor attended, in other words, doing what God says, the ruin of that land is at no great distance. It's not far off before the, it's going to be ruined. Barnes said this, he says, The darkest time in the history of Israel had been when there was no open vision. At such a time, the people perish, are let loose, and are left to run wild. How interesting that point is. When there's no preaching of the word of God, when people don't have a vision of the, of the word of God, people are just free to do whatever. When people fail to realize the importance of God's word uh, uh, or a lack of hearing and obeying, the people are headed for destruction. But consider the second part of that verse as we look back here. 
If we go back here to verse 18, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. You know, without, you know, when we think of this idea, he that keeps the law, the contrast, the person who keeps the word of God and does what God's word says, those people, uh, those people who hear and heed the word of God, they're a happy folk. God is who he claims to be. God is a powerful God. God is omnipresent. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. Without a vision, though, as, it goes, as we go back there, it says, without a vision, the people perish. You say, what is he talking about? Without a change, without a thinking, this is God's word, we need to change. We like the status quo. The Bible says people will perish. When we don't understand that there's a difference to be made in our life, we will perish. The Christian life is not, like, uh, is, is not a status quo type of life. You say, well, why is that? Well, God didn't save us to leave us like we, like we were before we got saved. He came to change us to be like his son. Go to Romans chapter number 8. Romans 8 and verse number 29. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. We often quote Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. But verse 29, notice here he says, for whom he did foreknow. God knew who would be saved and who would not be saved. His foreknowledge. For whom he did foreknow, he, talking of God, also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. God had a predetermined plan for us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, to be conformed to his image, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In Romans chapter 12, you're there, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul is talking about this changed life. As he's writing to Christians, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants us to be a changed people. He wants us to be able to look at life and to know what his will is and his, his desire for uh, our life. We're to put off the old man and to put on the new man. That old man was corrupt, the new man was created in righteousness. And as Christians, we must get a vision a view of how God wants and expects us to be by His power and by His grace to change us. You say, well, Pastor, I've been the same way for all these years. Well, can I tell you something? Then there's something wrong. Because God wants to change you. He doesn't want you to stay. You say, well, Pastor, I'm really old. Can God change old people? Absolutely. You've heard the old adage, well, you can't, you can't uh, teach an old dog new tricks. That's not true. Uh, you say, well, I've got an old dog and it's hard to change change them. Yeah, that's true. But we're talking about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God can change people, no matter what the age. And as we stop and as we understand the importance, the power of God, God wants to change us. So I want you to see the second point on, on this message tonight. So that's it. That's this. The impact of having a vision of what God can do. Is, can we have a vision? You know, we have a vision about the Word of God. The Word of God is God speaking to us. He gives us his, his instruction. 
And then as we apply it, as we, uh, we uh, do what he says, it will change us. So what's the impact of a life seeing God being able to do something in our life. Well, first of all, I want you to go back to Exodus chapter 14 where we were a moment ago and consider, if you would, that Israel had been in Egypt for 430 years and they're finally set free in this portion of Scripture. At the beginning, of the time when they were there, remember Joseph was, uh, had come out of Canaan and now he was ruling down there in Egypt. He was second in command. And they had been living high on the hog, if you would. God's blessing was upon them. And uh, there was a, uh, you remember that uh, there rose up a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph after some years. They didn't remember them. And uh, Israel had multiplied, become uh, more than the Egyptians. And they were concerned about uh, this idea that when they got to battle, then all of a sudden the Israelites might join with the enemy and go against the Egyptians. So they wanted to kill all the baby boys. And God pro provided a young man, uh, Moses, and uh, that, that baby was put in the, in the river, became, uh, was heard by the, the daughter of Pharaoh, and she accepted that little baby and um, raised it as her own. He was raised up in all that Egyptian understanding and teaching. He was going to be the next Pharaoh. That was the, next, that was the, the, the direction that he was going. But you remember when he went out and he heard, he heard or saw, excuse me, he went out to visit his, his brethren and he saw that the, the Jews, uh, that there was an Egyptian that was uh, being mean to an, uh, to an Israeli and he went and he, uh, he went and killed the Egyptian, hit him in the sand. And the next day when he went out, he saw two Israelite people, men, there, they were fighting. And the one who was causing the fight said, uh, when Moses said, hey, guys, come on, let's, let's not fight. And the one said, well, you're going to kill me like you did that, that Egyptian? And he flees. And God, he, he goes to the backside of the desert for 40 years. On the backside of the desert. I think God was really, God wanted to lead Israel out before that 430 years. But Moses was on the backside of the desert. Because God had talked about 400 years. Now we're at 430 years and God comes and speaks to Moses and says, hey, let my people go. And here Moses comes back to Pharaoh and you know all the plagues that were brought upon them and they were, they were uh, finally released from Egypt. And they're on their way. And as they're going to the promised land <clears throat> and as they're going, uh, the, they had been given all the, the wealth of the Egyptians as they're, as they're taking them away or as they're going away. And uh, the Egyptians said, hey, what, we were not, what were we thinking when we let these guys go? And so we come down to this portion of Scripture right here. And the Red Sea, God led them to this place by the Red Sea. It wasn't, well, you know what, let's take a map out here and we're going to chart our course and we're going to get there. It's always good to have a, a map, amen, to know where you're going. And uh, sometimes, how many have ever read a map and not been, even the map was messed up? You know, GPS sometimes will lead you in a, long, a wrong place. They were following the cloud, which was the Lord. God led them to the Red Sea. They were doing what they should have been doing. They were following the Lord. God did not take them the shortest way. He took them the way that he had planned for them and took them to the Red Sea. And so we come down here in this portion of Scripture they're down by the Red Sea. There's plenty of water there. But they see off in the distance, they see the Egyptians coming. 
And look what, what we find. Fear begins to attack the hearts of the Israelites in uh, verses 10 down to verse 12. And it says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. <coughs> we have these people, they saw the approaching enemy, they became fearful. They blamed Moses. Moses, it's all your fault. They were willing to, to have stayed as servants under bondage in Egypt rather than to get a vision of what God could do. The status quo looked pretty good to them right now. They looked back rather than to look forward to God, what God was going to do in them and through them. You know, there are those, when God begins to work, they become fearful. When things begin to get hard, they, like Lot's wife, begin to look back and long for the old life and fail to realize that God is about ready to do something great in their life. Notice what Moses tries to do in helping the people to catch a vision of what God is going to do. Something which they could not do on their own. Look at verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still. Notice, and see the salvation of the Lord. It's not, see what you can do, you're going to fight against the Egyptians. That's not it. The salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Notice verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. The situation looked hopeless from an earthly perspective. The enemy was behind, the water was before. But God delights to show himself strong in behalf of his children. Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. He's the God of the impossible. Luke 18.27, and he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You cannot live the Christian life apart from Jesus. That's what some folk try to do. They try to live the Christian life, to live apart from the power of Jesus Christ. You and I, we need Jesus Christ in our life. We need his power on a daily basis. We need his strength. We must become dependent upon him if we're going to have the victory in our lives. I, uh, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's not apart from Christ, but it's through Christ. What they needed, they needed to get a vision of what God can do. God was going to do a work. God was going to fight for them. They didn't know what God was going to do, but he was going to do something. <laughs> he has to do something. I mean, the thing looks pretty, pretty uh, impossible. I mean, he could have opened up the ground and all the Egyptians over there could have been swallowed up and gone. 
He could have had a dust storm and they'd have been all, they couldn't see. He could have blinded them. God could have done, God could have done a whole multitude of different things, but he had a plan. They had to picture in their mind, though, that God was going to do some great work. You know, we as Christians need to get this idea firmly fixed in our mind that God can cause, can do something great, but we must move forward. Not only can God do something, but God will do something in us and through us. You say, well, what can God do in my personal life? Well, God can and will make us men and women of God. If only we will get a vision and act upon it. You know, people want to be mighty in spirit. But remember what I said at the very beginning. Faith is not only believing what God says, but acting upon it. God can and will make you a man or a woman of prayer if we will only get a vision and act upon it. Say, so, Pastor, I'd sure like to be a a person who God answers prayer. You can be. If we'll get a vision of what God will do and then act upon it. You say, well, pastor, I'd like to be a fisher of men. Well, we can. If only we get a vision and then we act upon it. How about our home life? That God can repair our marriage if we will get a vision how God wants our marriage to be and then act upon it. Quite often people say, well, pastor, I want God to repair my marriage, but they want to live like, the, like they've been living all this time. Well, that's not how it works. See, if you could live like you were living, your marriage would be in a wreck in the, the, way that you're, where, the way you are right now. But God wants to change us. You say, well, pastor, I wish my ministry would be different. Well, God can multiply your Sunday school class if you get a vision of what he can do and then act upon it. You say, well, what do you mean a vision? Well, you have a Sunday school class or even here tonight in, in church. You say, well, man, I wish God could do something. Well, get a vision and then act upon it. Go into the highways and hedges. Pray for it. Labor for it. Work toward it. God can do the same thing with the bus route to get a vision for it and then pray and look for new prospects. You say, well, pastor, I keep on the old prospects, but they, they just don't want to come. Well, then well, let's look for some new prospects. New prospects. God can enlarge our missionary outreach. You say, well, pastor, we got some people here. I, I pray that we have more people to go in the mission field and to, to reach out to others. And the world, there's people in the world that are dying without Jesus Christ. God does a great work as people obey their, the, uh, the commands of God. Look back there, if you would, at Exodus chapter 14. Look at verse 15. Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they may go forward. And then verse number 17. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall, uh, shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten my honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. Now notice. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. God says, go forward. And God says, okay, now I'm going to work. And the cloud that had been leading them had led them to the Red Sea. You say, well, pastor, they should have led them to a place where they could have defended themselves better. No, God had a plan. 
And that cloud, uh, that picture of God, went from there in front of them, went behind them. Notice. And went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, to the Egyptians. But it gave light by night to these, to the Israelites, so that the one came not near the other. <laughs> Amazing. God doing a work. There's no way they could conjure that one up. Boy, you say, Pastor, they had to have some bright lights. There's a, approximately a million and a half to three million Jews. And God says, I just wanted to show you something. Moses was trying to get them to get a vision. God can do some great things. Well, they'd been down there in, in Egypt. They'd seen just a few of the, the miracles as far as God working and, and driving them out. But their faith was still weak. Moses is trying to encourage them, get a vision of a great God who can do great things. And verse 21, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. There's no way they could have planned on that one. But they had to get a vision. You know, as God started revealing his vision to these people, what happened? I'm sure their faith started growing. The cloud that was there before them, all of a sudden, now we can't see the enemy any longer. Sometimes we look on the enemy so much, we become so fearful of the enemy that we stop moving forward. We start seeing all the problems and we stop seeing the goodness of God. And here, the children of Israel now, God has now parted the waters of the Red Sea. They're just heaped up. On both sides. And there's dry land. It wasn't soggy ground. It wasn't just a couple, two, three inches of water there. God says they went over on dry ground. Either you believe that they went over on dry ground or you don't. It's either faith in what God has said and you believe that he can do what he said or you don't. I've chosen to believe what God says is true. And here the people were seeing God work, God doing something that was miraculous. They were getting a vision of what God could do. The people went forward. And as they went forward, now, and the Bible says, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, verse 22. And the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand and on the left. As they went forward, could you imagine being the first people stepping out there? Wow. <laughs> I wonder if all this, is, this water on both sides is going to come crashing down. But what they did is they trusted the God who was doing something great. Folks, we need to trust God. We need to step out in faith. You know, that sea seems like an impossible feat, but the waters were divided. How could a mere man raise out a, his hand with a rod and do such great things. It was not Moses' strength that was going to part those waters. It was God working through Moses that was going to do it. Moses was co-laboring with God. Moses was just a vessel through whom God was going to work. You know, God in the same way wants to work through you as a vessel through which he can work. God could do and wants to do things.
But without him, we can do nothing. God would do what he wants without us. But he, you know, he could do whatever he wants to do without us. But he wants to use us. He wants to use young people in school. He wants to use young people with friends. He wants to be, use adults with people that are in our community and friends and loved ones. He wants to work in us and through us. God began to work in a way which man could not understand. Notice verse number 19 as we've looked through this and we're looking through this. The pillar of fire moves behind Israel. God sends forth a wind, divides the water. God took the wheels of the Egyptians' chariots off. Look what it says. Verse number 20, uh, 23. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. Notice, and took off their chariot wheels. Who took off the chariot wheels? We say, well, pastor, they didn't build those things very well. No, 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 had nothing to do with the, the upkeep of the chariots. They could have had the best chariot keepers, and I'm sure they probably did, especially for Pharaoh. It was God who took off the chariot wheels. And they dragged them heavily. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel. Notice, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea, and the water, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, and upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. Here's Moses' obedience. Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its strength. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. It was God. Getting a vision of what God could do. Here the Israelites were on, safely on the other side. Here's the Egyptians had come through. And as they're coming through, you know what? They were trusting in their gods just like they had, had, they had done before. But when they got in the middle of that sea and God took off those chariot wheels and they're still trying to drive to get out, they're seeing the walls of water there. You can understand the fact, the fear that was coming upon those people. They couldn't get through without the God of the Bible. And folks, may I share with you today, there are people who come to church and, or they see Christians talk about their Savior. They know that He's done something in their life. They think that, well, you know what, if I just get close to them, I get around them, then that'll be good enough to get me to the same place where they're going to go. It doesn't work that way. It's having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, having faith in God that what God has promised that he's also able to fulfill. They can't have, they don't have, if they don't have Jesus as their Savior, they can't go to heaven. We've said that so many times. God told Moses to stretch forth his hand and the sea would return, and it did. You know, if you think that you can go to heaven without Jesus, there is coming a day when you'll find out that you're wrong, but it'll be too late. As it's appointed to men once to die, and after this the judgment, Hebrews 9.27. You can't stop what God says is going to happen. A lot of people will say, well, you know what, I'm just not going to die. Well, you can say that all you want, but there's coming a day when it's going to happen. The reality. 
And then people say, well, you know, I may die, but I'm going to go to heaven because I, I, just, I'm, that, I just will it. That's what's going to happen. Well, that's not how it happens. It's because by faith, as we said, we believe what God has said and we act upon it. But as many as received him, received Jesus, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. As we conclude this message tonight, we, we consider the idea that the people of Israel got a vision of what God could do, and he did it. What could God do if we got a vision of his working in our life? What could he do in us personally? Say, well, I, I, I wish I could just memorize the word of God. I wish I could just really understand the word of God. I wish I could be a soul winner. I wish, I, I wish God could could help uh, my Sunday school class to go. What could he do in our homes? Say, well, our homes, are, my, our homes are kind of a mess, but what could God do? He could make it a little bit of heaven on earth. How about our church? Where do we start on getting a vision for God? I think, first of all, it starts with the right evaluation. Where am I with God right now? Where am I with God right now? If I think I'm okay... Guess what? There's no need for change. If you and I, if we think we're okay, and we're as close as we're ever going to get to God, guess what? There's no need for change. So we'll be satisfied with status quo. Am I doing my best for Jesus? If I think I am, then we're never going to be striving to be better. But I guarantee you something, we can all do better for the Lord Jesus Christ than we're doing right now. We can all pray more. We can all witness more. We can all uh, share more. We can, always, we can give more of our best, more than what we're doing right now. Could more be done in the area of my life and my home and my church for God? Asking good questions. It starts with the right evaluation. The reason why some people don't move ahead, you know, it all starts with an understanding of the right evaluation. I need for things to change. An alcoholic will never change from being an alcoholic as long as he thinks that he's okay. A drug addict will not change their, uh, from being a drug addict until they realize that that is not a life that they want to have. People say, well, pastor, uh, we're just going to drag them into a change. Well, can I tell you something? They'll just return back to the same old way. It requires the right evaluation. Second of all, it requires an expectation that God can and will do something. Sometimes people expect, they say, well, you know what? God can't do anything, so why should I even try? Well, if you don't expect God to do anything, you're, you're going to hit that mark every time. When you go out soul winning, people say, well, I, you know, I, I, I uh, pray that God would use me today, but I really don't expect anybody to. To respond. It's kind of like that lady who said, I shared this with you the other day, who said, you know, uh, the pastor was uh, talking about trusting God and believing God, and she said, you know what, I did. And you know what, it works. Every time I go to a door, I pray that somebody's not, I pray that, that person's not home. And every time, there was nobody home. Well, that's not the way we're supposed to pray. We ought to pray, God, please have somebody there that I could be a blessing to, that I could encourage them to get saved, somebody that I can encourage them to draw close to God that would want to come and be, and be with God and walk and come to church. 
It requires an expectation that God can and will do something. It requires an establishment of a plan for God to work. To be a man or woman of prayer, I must first establish times to pray. To explore the Bible about what the Bible says about prayer. To read books about people who prayed and God answered. You say, why is that important? Because we start realizing that God does answer prayer. He does answer prayer. And then finally, it requires an exertion of energy. Remember, faith, we believe what God has said is so, and then we act upon it. The implement, implementation of the plan, as Moses did, when God said, stretch out your rod and go forward, they stretched out his rod, the waters parted, they went forward, and God worked, and God displayed his power. God told him what to do, they did it, God did his part. Can I share with you tonight? We need a vision of what God can do. Galilee Baptist Church, the folk of Galilee Baptist Church need to get a vision. We're in 2022. And we need a vision for what God can do. I pray that tonight that we would get a vision. And then we would not only get a vision, believe that God can do something and then act upon it so that God can do his great mighty work. Let's pray. Dear Father, tonight we thank you for this time, and Lord, we thank you for the example in thy word that it, having a vision of what you can do in us and through us is important. Lord, having a vision of what your word says and what, how you want us to live, that's so important for our Christian life and Christian growth. Father, uh, I pray tonight that each of us would get a vision of what you can do in our life. And by faith that we would step out and be obedient to thy word tonight and do what you've called us to do. That we'd get a plan. We'd begin to execute the plan. And Lord, believe that you would, will do what you've promised. Father, we know that you're a great and mighty God. There's nothing that's too hard for you. Father, I thank you tonight for all that you're going to do and pray for your mercy in our life. Give us strength, Father. Give us the courage to move forward for you. And Father, we thank you and we praise you. Now in Jesus' precious and wonderful name we pray. Amen. Brother Scott, come and lead us in a song of invitation. Let's all stand.